Electric Rock Science. Uh, today we have uh, two guests. They're the authors of Beyond Earth, Our Path to a New Home in the Planets. Um, and so we're joined by Charles Wolforth and Amanda Hendricks. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> uh, so it was a really interesting read. I like that it took this sort of half fiction, half um, half like research style uh, or science book. And uh, I guess to open it up, I think um, I'd like to talk about this, uh, the way that this book is marketed. It says, Beyond Earth does not offer another wide-eyed technology fantasy. Instead, it is grounded not only in the human capacity for invention and the appeal for adventure, but also in the bureaucratic, political, and scientific realities that present obstacles to space travels um, that face. Uh, and so could you tell us, tell me a bit about uh, why you decided to take this approach opposed to um, some of the other ones perhaps seen in, in popular science books? Well, I guess I could uh, take that one. I, I think that, you know, it took us a year actually to develop our concept of, of how this book was going to be structured and what we wanted to say. And uh, we spent a lot of that time talking uh, via Skype um, about different concepts and different approaches and our ideas about what might happen and, and actually doing some discussion of, of, of figuring out what we thought the future held. And so I think one of the things that might make the book unique is that we didn't come to it with a predetermined conclusion. We came to it as more of a research project uh, to, to really figure out what seems probable and what seems like it could really happen. And I think a lot of folks who are writing on this topic are coming into it because they want it to happen and they're trying to persuade people that it's going to happen their way. And so um, in looking at when you're predicting the future, it's not enough to talk about what you'd like to have happen, but sort of what the forces are that cause things to develop the way they do. Um, did you read any other books in this sort of area before you began uh, work on Beyond Earth? A um, little bit. Um, you know, I think we we reviewed sort of the current literature that was on the same topic to you know, make sure we weren't going to duplicate and that we were going saying something new. Um, it came evident pretty quickly that we were, and, and that we were going that we were going in our own direction. And um, then also to think about what is the most effective style and tone for doing this kind of work. And, and we really actually liked um, some of the stuff that was a little bit lighter and had some humor, and that was that you wanted to read for fun rather than the stuff that was just sort of um, a dead-eyed focused on on uh, what the person's point of. W wouldn't you agree with that, Amanda? Yes. I, we, we wanted to definitely make it uh, serious and not sci-fi, uh, but, but we did want to make it readable. And so, you know, especially in some areas, we try to be um, a little lighthearted and make it a little bit fun. Um, <laughs> And that being said, there's also some sections that seem like very dire <laughs> in some I ways. Know. Right. Well, and, and that's because, you know, as Charles was saying, we when we were approaching, you know, thinking about the concept for the book, we we really wanted to make it realistic. And so even though we came into it knowing that we wanted to write a book about space colonization, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about, well, why would this really happen? Um, you know, we we like Titan as a destination, but we why would people really want to actually go and live somewhere else? And we wanted to make a realistic scenario for for why that would really happen. So, right, some of it isn't isn't too, you know, 
wonderful and um, lovely, but but maybe that maybe that's what would happen in the future to make people want to do that. Yeah, I, I definitely like that take on it. It, it. it had a cinematic quality, I think, to the future sections. Um, <laughs> and, and actually, that sort of leads into this question. And, and maybe one of the interesting features of the book that a reader should know about is that you focus a lot on travel to Titan. Um, so I was wondering if you could maybe uh, give us a, a brief uh, overview of why, why choose Titan over um, popular destinations that we've seen in the media like Mars or the moon. Right. Well, I'll, I'll start with that one. Um, and and again, when we when we came into this and thought, OK, well, we're going to write a book about space colonization. What should where should we make our destination in the solar system? Um, and we did kind of think about what what are the possible places to go. But, um, you know, so much has been written and thought about Mars and the moon and um I personally like those places. I think they're interesting destinations, but for a long-term human habitat, uh, they're not that great. And we talk about why in the book, uh, but we also thought, let's let's go do something new and different. And hey, you know, Titan is actually a really interesting place. And the more we thought about it and really kind of got into it, it really became apparent that it's actually a lot better and smarter choice than um, going to Mars or the moon for a long-term destination. Is there, because I've, I've never read anything about Titan before in this sense, is this something that's spoken about within um, discussions of space colonization inside of NASA? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, space colonization inside of NASA, it's it's just Mars um, or maybe, maybe the moon. Um, depending on, you know, who's talking, but, um, so no, so Titan right now, uh, you know, we're still continuing to learn a lot about using the Cassini spacecraft and, um, and thanks to Cassini, we know quite a bit about, uh, Titan and, and how it's actually quite a bit like earth in some ways, in a lot of ways. And, um, but the idea of sending humans to the outer solar system hasn't been seriously thought about um, really ever. Um, and the main problem that we point to in the, the book is um, the, the propulsion technologies, because it just takes too long to get there. So, um, so, so I think that's the number one hurdle that needs to be overcome that we talk about in the book is propulsion to get people to the outer solar system faster. How does the... the or what, what do you envision, perhaps, as one of the potential visions that that uh, humans could take on in order to undertake human colonization of the solar system in in a way that isn't forced, that, that doesn't feel like our hand was being forced to do it? Well, in terms of what is the uh, sort of the, the path, path to a positive kind of space colonization, I, I think um, part of it is to to fix the institutions that are um, that we rely upon to give us space exploration now, which means um, the political institutions that determine the direction that we're going to go and the bureaucratic institutions that carry out that direction and that we take advantage of and align with the commercial space folks who seem to be able to do this innovation much more much faster and more efficiently. So, for us, I think rule, you know, step one is we've got to select a long-term vision that is accepted across political administrations and you know across all the different divisions, um, and then we need to start working towards that uh, 
in, in picking off the big problems rather than trying to, to get fast accomplishments. So we talked a lot about the health issues that are standing between us and long-term space exploration. That's the first place probably to be investing a lot of money um, because we won't be very successful in any space exploration until we deal with these problems with radiation and gravity. And so in that sense, I, I think that the, the things we need to be doing now are, are painfully obvious, um, you know, and really need to just be prioritized. And probably that takes having a, a vision of like where we're going and, and why we're doing it and, and, and taking on the problems uh, one at a time. Would you agree with that, Amanda? Yeah. And what I was going to add um, is that, you know, kind of the long term vision right now that it, NASA anyway has is going to Mars. And, um, and what concerns me anyway is that if that's our long term vision, um, you know, what are we going to do when we get there? Are we, I don't, you know, we point out in the book, it's it's not a viable destination for a long-term human habitat. So people can't live there for very long. So, yeah, let's go there and let's check it out and do science and do exploration with humans. And that's valuable to do in addition to robotic exploration, certainly. But we certainly don't want to end up in a situation like at Apollo where we went to the moon and then nothing happened and everything came in terms of the human spaceflight, everything came to a, an abrupt halt for, you know, going on 40, 50 years now. So uh, we don't want that to happen. So if we have an even longer term, bigger goal and vision in mind, uh, like going to Titan, that can give really everybody um, something big to aim for and work together toward. I'm just thinking about uh, talking about like, yeah, you one of the ways might be to do more human health research. And there's this story in the book that I wasn't aware of that there was a, a, a centrifuge that was designed for the International Space Station, but because of budgetary concerns, it didn't end up reaching the science facilities there? Yeah. It was never built, I don't think. Uh, it was it was programmed, but then uh, after the, uh, the, the space shuttle um, crash uh, and, and the reconfiguration of the... Um, Space Shuttle Launch Manifest, it was sort of cut from the list, which is kind of tragic because it means that we don't have any way of studying um, fractional gravity, any gra gravitation below one. We have zero and we have one, but we don't have any fraction, which is critically important to know what the long-term impacts of living on the moon or Mars or anywhere else would be. I mean, I find that an interesting story about, um, you know, the sort of the types of the types of equipment and, and budgetary constraints that current li currently limit our ability to do science in space. Right, it's frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh, Amanda, you currently work uh, with a funded space program? Yes, I do. I, I work on a few projects, in, including the Cassini spacecraft and Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter and some other programs too. Is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that private private companies that you sort of speak about in the book would ever um, have the impetus to fund projects like the ones that you're working on inside of uh, NASA? Let's see. So right now, um, my funding comes through NASA because they are NASA. Usually, I'm using data from NASA spacecraft. So if there were a commercial spacecraft out there taking science data. I would hope that they would offer that data to the public to use, just like NASA 
offers their science data for the public to use. Um, and, you know, that's the whole point of doing science. So <laughs> I would think so. And so, so absolutely. So I hope I'm answering your question there. Yeah. But I don't think that we feel that like NASA is going to disappear or that we want it to. Right. But a lot of these tasks are not going to be profitable. And in fact, when you look at uh, colonization efforts that have happened in the past, they're, they're always supported in some way by some kind of government effort that makes it possible for private industry to come in and, and profit. And, and there's there's no profit to be made from the the really important work of figuring out how people can survive radiation in space. You know that's a very basic science problem. Um, it will always have to be supported by government. It's not going to be supported by private industry. But what private industry can do, and what we need to move away from NASA doing, is is just building rockets and building equipment that we know how to build, and that private industry and a profit. Uh, incentive can get built faster and more innovatively. I see. So maybe maybe this is an um, this is a, a sort of conceptual understanding then of the the pieces required to do space colonization, and that may be separated into projects that involve basic research and projects that involve like industrial production. Would that be yeah, correct absolutely. to say? Absolutely, absolutely. And the funding is going to. Uh, uh, for those things that don't that don't involve a profit, it's probably going to come from the government, and then the uh, ability to earn a profit will uh, drive uh, commercial space. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm I just I'm thinking just about uh, maybe in biomedical research, right? There are a lot of like there are a lot of companies that are doing presumably basic research in in search of uh, compounds that will produce drugs. So like there are examples in uh, the scientific world where commercial entities uh, work on try to uh, collect primary scientific data. Although I wouldn't say that that necessarily is open to the public. I just wonder whether or not you thought about that option in terms of advancing uh, space colonization. Sure. But I mean, it, it, in terms of at least the world as it is now, um, we, we really can't take long journeys in space because of the impact of uh, galactic cosmic rays, which are this heavy-duty uh, radiation, which doesn't exist on Earth. Um, so it's hard to see why a, a private entity would spend, you know, really, really huge amounts of money to do that kind of uh, research um, for, some, for something that's not going to have any market on Earth, right? The only market would be for people who are in space. So that's, that's where I see a need for government support. It's a, kind of like, if you think about the railroads crossing... Uh, North America, um, they, they were built by private enti entities who were profit-seeking, but the government really paid for it because they made these huge land grants. And so um, it, it's maybe not the most, um, you know, it doesn't, it's not, not the heroic vision that you might have of people going out to the West and, and, and you know, uh, taming the West and all that stuff like people used to talk about, but, but it's a combination of of investment by the government to make it possible for private industry to invest in a way that'll be profitable because nobody's going to do it. I mean, there's, there's no, no profit to be made to go to Mars uh, now. And the, even Elon Musk and his, his very uh, big vision talks about a public private partnership because I think he recognizes the same thing. I am a little bit curious about how you guys uh, found each other uh, to start writing beyond earth. <laughs> right. Well, we were, we were introduced by a, uh, our literary agent, and uh, 
he he thought that uh, the two of us might be able to team up to write a book about space colonization um, and have a unique perspective on it based on our two different perspectives. So, um, and that's why uh, Charles mentioned that it took us a year to put together the concept because, you know, we spent a lot of time talking and figuring out what we wanted to do with the idea of space colonization and what we thought would work work the best and that would make it ours you know something that we could believe in for sure <laughs> yeah and we kept from when we talk about different perspectives uh, uh you know amanda is, is a uh, phd scientist who is working in space science and has always been a technology and space enthusiast and i have been primarily uh an environmental science writer and have written about um i live in alaska and i you know have a very active outdoors life and so kind of a not at all related to technology or space. And so it, it turned out to be a nice partnership because our, we came from very different perspectives and very different sort of um, plausibility meters, if you will, you know, where we have different uh, about skepticality, skepticism about different things. And, and I, I think that turned into a great mix. Mm. Um, and so the process then, like once you form the idea, was it like back and forth in terms of writing the chapters or did someone write and someone edited? Well, primarily, we uh, did the research together. Um, Amanda uh, found the people to talk to and, and was kind of responsible for the big uh, science issues. And then we would uh, we traveled to the different sites together and did interviews together. And then I would write the, uh, the first draft based on the, the outline that we, that we worked out jointly. And then we would sort of go over that draft and to come up with the final. It didn't. It's really, really. And if I've done, I've tried before to actually write a book where two people are writing at once, and it's incredibly inefficient and difficult. For it's, but to to have a division of labor it makes more sense where each person does what they do best. Cool, cool. Um, I I think it turned out really. It turned out really well. I, I liked. I liked that the voice was joined, but at the same time, um, like the past, the fact that there was the present future things made it did feel. It did feel like there were two voices at play. Um, but it's obviously a mixture of you both. <laughs> um, so is this, is this a work of, uh, science communication? Is it like, how do you think of, uh, this book as impacting, um, the landscape of scientific communication? Where, where does it fit in with all the other things out there? So I really hope that, um, people read it, um, and get excited about Titan get excited about the idea of humans traveling to the outer solar system and, uh, you know, learn something about Titan and learn a lot about the challenges of going to space, you know, no matter where it is, Titan or Mars or whatever. And, um, and just kind of get the idea that there's, there's more options out there than Mars and we ought to, you know, aim, aim beyond Mars even. Um, so, so that's my hope with the book is that people, um, learn and, and get excited about um, humans going into the solar system. Yeah, and in terms of the sort of the audience, I'm really hoping that it gets beyond the people who, who like always read uh, everything about um, science and astronomy into readers who maybe wouldn't necessarily pick up a book like that, but are interested in it because of the approach, which is like pretty, uh, pretty easy reading and um, and, has, and kind of has a lot of imagination and some humor 
and so that we can kind of start all get sort of on the same page here um, to have have a little bit more of a same base of knowledge about these issues. Yeah, um, you spoke about there's there's a a little bit about um, the community of of space colonization and um, sort of like all the weird technologies and how that uh, there's some tension between um, guarding a reputable scientific career and and shifting into some of these spaces. Um, is this book an attempt? Like, do you see that this book is is trying to play with that a little bit and um, maybe make it a bit more acceptable to go back and forth? Well, I think so. Yeah, I mean, because like I said, we we really tried to keep it very realistic, and um, even though some of the technologies that we talked about are kind of out there, you know, the, we we tried to base everything in reality and and think, well, you know. It's smart people working on this stuff. It's not just some loonies, <laughs> you know. And um, um, and so, you know, keeping in mind that we have to be realistic about uh, human space travel, but also keeping in mind that it, it is going to happen and it is happening. And there's also a really good mix in there when you, you know, you can't just focus on robotic uh, space exploration. It really is good and it works really well for doing science, but it's important um, to send humans into space too. And um, and I think that we, we need to continue doing both, um, you know, while, while keeping, and while keeping concepts realistic. Actually, this is, uh, this just brought in a, a thought that I had and uh, there is, you know, technology is the thing that allows us to do things that we've never been able to do before, right? They take some concepts that we've um, inferred from observations and, and create some sort of application for that. And, uh, you know, in some of the future sections, I noticed that you, you know, there's lots of talk about uh, inequality and um, some, like, some big problems in uh, science that touch many other sectors of the world, like climate change. Um, I'd actually like to hear a little bit of your opinions on what is that what is that link uh, between technology and equality <laughs> or technology and uh, you know social economic problems. Um, but one of our in, in, in developing those future um, scenarios, we were really trying to hold to the rule that technology would advance, but but human nature would stay the same, and so. Um, you know what are the what what are what are the things that that cause um, inequality and cause you know human conflict on Earth? Well, one of them is is sort of parochialism and and the in-group preferences that people have um, socially, which seem to be pretty fundamental parts of our human makeup. And uh, we just and and maybe that'll change. It's certainly possible that anything could change, but the most probable thing to us seemed to be like well those qualities are probably still going to be there. So if we're on another planet, um, most likely a colony there will develop like colonies have uh, here on Earth. So, if, you know, uh, Europeans go to um, go to the Americas and and pretty soon they sort of divide from the Europeans and don't want to be ruled by them anymore. And 
then after a while they don't even want them to immigrate anymore and start thinking of themselves as being the you know the true Americans and mm-hmm. and you know why would that not happen? Um, gotcha. Yeah, and that was written into the section of the the Titan colony and how the distance once they started developing, right? They wanted to do their own thing. Turn yeah, back. That seems to be what's always happened. So you'd have to have some reason why it wouldn't happen in the future. As to how technology relates to that, I mean, tech, you know, if biotech is going to surely change how we reproduce and and how we make food, and those are kind of some of the, the most fundamental aspects of ecology and evolution. So it's it, hard to say exactly what's going to happen, but um, you know, those mo- the most fundamental drivers of the human experience are going to change, and um, that's one of the things that makes this kind of futurism really interesting. And Amanda, do you do you have some thoughts on this link between technology and equality or social dimensions of technology? Well, I, I agree with what Charles said, and I was going to point out those couple of things also. But I and I also think that it, you know, I, for me, I feel like it's it's a commentary kind of, you know, and may, you know maybe by pointing these things out, um, that it can help people to recognize. Uh, maybe things that aren't that great about our own human nature and think about it and maybe try to address it a little bit. Um, Again, maybe it's not going to make anybody change, but it's good to at least um, talk about it, I think. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the the book is out there, and I will definitely agree that it is a a very easy read. It it, it strings along these uh, sort of fictional narratives with... um, return to earth moments where we talk to an expert or learn about a concept. I guess uh, in terms of parting words, um, I'm wondering whether or not, so I mean, the the circumstances of which you were brought together was a, a literary agent, right? But of course, in doing the work, you must find something personal that you've created here. And I'm just wondering whether or not anything from this, you know, anything interesting in this will spin off in your own life, in your in your own personal Individual work, sorry, not personal, individual work. That's an interesting question. I, I, I definitely found that the collaboration was really enjoyable. And um, I have been doing this kind of work for 25, you know, over 20 years, uh, working uh, uh, by myself almost all the time. And having a, a co-author who is an equal and going through all the issues and developing a, a common vision for the project to me was very enjoyable and and really opened up a new um, new aspect of doing this kind of work. So for me, that was a big discovery, something that I want to pursue in the future. And Amit really has has other thoughts. And and for me, the collaboration's been great also, and and my first book project. So um, so it's been a whole new experience for me and a really exciting way I think to share the excitement about planetary science. Um, and like I said before, I think it's really important to get the public um, and readers excited about uh, planetary science and Titan and going to the outer solar system. So, um, you know, just the whole, I, uh, you know, being fully engaged in this project and thinking about this for the last four years, uh, you know, it's kind of always on my mind now. And so I think about um, how to address this in my you know, future work projects and, and how we might, and I don't have any answers yet, but I'm just kind of thinking about it a lot. And, and, you know, right now there's not that many missions going to the outer solar system 
planned and it really takes a long time. And I mean, robotic missions, um, really takes a long time to get out of there and to do all the mission formulation and everything. So, um, I, I also hope that, you know, getting people excited about Titan might help to spurn some interest in, um, sending more missions to the outer solar system and to, to go to Titan and learn more about Titan because it's a fascinating place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hooked. It's a, <laughs> it, it's a strange world to live in, in bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> Better than underground though. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thanks for joining me, uh, Amanda and Charles. It was great speaking to you guys. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you.